This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, I'm joined by my friend Ryan, and we go through our 10 phase from a magical year of hair metal, 1986. This was the year I got into metal, so it's a special one for me. The hair was big, the spandex was tight, and the metal was righteous. Check it out. Well, Ryan, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing tonight, brother? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great, man. I am excited because tonight we are going to talk about the epic year of 1986. And uh, for me, man, it feels like this was like my metal birth year. This was the year I got into metal. <laughs> so all these albums uh, are very special to me. What are your thoughts on 86? Uh, what do you think about this year? Well, happy birthday, first of all. <laughs> pretty killer introduction year, to be honest. Um, I feel like it was a lot harder than I thought. It, at first, when we when we kicked it around, I was like, okay, well, I, I think of the big ones, and I go, God, what else am I going to find? And oh my God, it ended up being a top 25 list. I'm like, uh-oh. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so... It goes goes to show it was the, it was some good years there. Yeah, and you know I've talked about this uh, on the podcast before, probably in different episodes, but I have a feeling like we, we've got to kind of dial back to '85 for a second. And, and not a lot of maybe some people won't agree with me, but I I think that Theater of Pain. 1985, I want to say it came out around the summertime. I think that was the catalyst for what you kind of see in 1986. You know what I mean? Crew comes out, changes their image. They go more of the uh, glamier 70s almost glam, feminine glam that the New York Dolls did. And they're doing the power ballad. You know, the power ballad becomes a big thing. And I feel like... The floodgates kind of open because, you know, after that, if you look at Dokken from that year or Kiss from that year, they kind of emulate the look of Motley Crue. And then when we get to 86, you know, we've got Poison and Cinderella. And I feel like all these guys are taking some uh, moves out of the Motley Crue playbook. But it's working. And MTV's loving it, too, because, like I said, they're playing the videos. It's on radio. I just feel like, you know, the floodgates opened in 86 with glam metal. Yeah, they set the tone. Motley tended to do that throughout their career. It goes to show from some of the artists that are on the list that I'm sure you have, and I definitely have, everybody kind of lighten up their image for those middle years there. Yep. And um, it ends up being pretty controversial, but uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, you I know what? Agree more. Oh, yeah. So let's jump right in, and why don't you just yeah. give me your number 10? All right, cool. Well, uh, like I said, this is tough. But my number 10 is a band called Brighton Rock. Um, okay, nice. Brighton Rock is a Canadian band, and they came out with three albums in the era. I think the last was in 90 or 91. They have that acquired taste feel to them a little bit with the vocals. Uh, he's got the gargled with pea gravel versus the Brian Johnson gargled with bass rock thing going on <laughs> but it works really well for him sadly singer jerry mcgee lost his life in 2020 i believe and i think i i uh emailed you or texted you and said oh man i'm so, I'm so bummed singer from brighton rock passed away but man he stayed so healthy for so long and if you ever youtube some of their later video sorry videos um he sounded great all through his career um some of the top kind of standouts on this album were uh, Assault Attack. It has this epic chorus. You guys got to check it out. Um, Jack is back. 
Young, Wild, and Free, and We Came to Rock. Those are some really choice cuts from that album. They had some really good keyboard underlays, some keyboard touches. I can't say enough about this band to, to kick off this year. Uh, Greg Frazier is their guitar player, and he came out with another band recently called Stormforce. Okay. And if you're going to have a, a throwback and like a real retro, you know, sign of the times, perfect tribute to that era, it's this great new band called Stormforce that he's part of. So highly suggest checking out Brighton Rock and Stormforce. Now, crazily... I don't know, can I say that crazily? Is that a word? <laughs> crazily enough, uh, crazy enough. I think it's crazy enough. Uh, I I've never I've never I've heard of them, but I've never heard them. So I always feel like when people come on and throw some me a curveball, like it, it's kind of nice because then I can go back and maybe discover a new band. Um, but then also feel I feel like I'm like some kind of you know I'm a noob or something. Like I don't I don't know I, how no, can I not know this? I'm, what's wrong with me? No, but um. And no, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of this era. It's the endless era. Really? I mean, every day, I'm every day I'm finding new bands. That's and true. every day there's some band you you found that made a demo in their garage. And they look killer and they sound killer. And you go, oh, I love this era. I love this genre. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I can be a humble man. You know what I mean? I I, I don't know everything. I don't know every band. And uh, and I'm gonna be put out a disclaimer with my list. It's basically a it's really all the the heavy hitters you know what i mean i don't think i have anything that's rare i tried to focus on the key albums that i bought when i first got into metal you know they they're not all albums that i go back to and listen to every day but they've got a special place because they were like those first albums so without further ado Oh, my, my number ten is Europe, man. Final countdown. That was that was awesome. Yeah. You know what I mean? That was one of my early purchases back then, and uh, I think I saw the video. And it's kind of hard to explain. We probably you go through this, and everybody's been through us. But once you get hooked on this stuff, it's like you're uh, you're an addict slash collector. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I've got to get Europe. Oh, I've oh, got to yeah. get Bon Jovi. I, you know, you're just discovering all this stuff, and then eventually you kind of discover, oh, these guys had albums before these albums. You know, and um, yeah. You know, with this one, it, you know, it's a big breakthrough because they did have a few albums that really did nothing in the states. They, they may have done a little bit, you know, uh, in their homeland, but not much in the states. It, you know, I think it was a, a, a three times platinum album and uh, super so- strong singles. The singles are so strong on this one. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. th- that's maybe my only complaint. Like, I feel like the singles are so good. And then as I get to the tail end of this album, I'm kind of like, eh, these songs are okay, but they're not as good as, as the as the beginning part of the album. And, and that, you know what? You probably noticed that too. A lot of these '80s albums, they they come out of the gate with the heavy hitters, and then it kind of fades down as it, you know as it comes to an end sometimes. But still, overall, really great stuff. Stuff. Great musicians, but I, I think vocally uh, is where it really shines. I think Joey Tempest has a super unique voice, and that's what makes Europe, you know, between the songs and his unique voice. And then we had a little guitar thing that happened, which I thought was kind of weird. I mean, and you know, it's funny. I've had some of these guys on before, and and I never really got a mm-hmm. clear answer of what the problem was here. But to me, it's still a, maybe someday I just got to get John Norm on. But it's a head scratcher. That here it is, this band finally breaks, multi-platinum, and John Norum leaves over like disputes with the band and disputes with management. And I think to myself, what a shitty time to leave a band. What? Couldn't you make it oh, work? Yeah. You know what I mean? This is crazy. But you know, then you well, got you got Key Marcello in, and I thought yeah. Key Marcello was, was phenomenal. So 
Yeah, well, he left the band, and then he did that album, No Control, or sorry, Total Control, and it's it's Europe. Yeah. You know, it's the same. It's this. It it's maybe as hard as like On the Loose or Cherokee on that album mm-hmm. is like the the hardest song on Total Control, but it's a killer album. Don't get me wrong, but it's the same thing. It's, yeah, you know, it's like Vince Neil leaving and doing Exposed. Right, and it's the same thing as Motley. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't. Yeah, you can't so, really chalk it up as a musical difference because it's the same exact music. So you know, who knows? And eventually they got back together, anyways, with him. But yeah, that was the only thing that yeah. when I look back at it, I as that kind of a I'm like, wow, that that was that was a crazy move. I don't know. I don't know if that was a smart move at all. But it, you know, it is what it is. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. You know, I I really like this album. I. I, it's in my honorable mention list, though. Honorable I, I mention, had gotcha. to do it. I, 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 I'll tell you why I didn't put Europe on here is because I'm such a fan of Out of This World oh, and Prisoners yep. that, that I was like, oh, uh, you know what? I think I'm going to go with, like, although that was a huge, huge album that year, I like the other two better. Me too. Even though Cherokee and Rock the Night are so killer. I don't know. But anyway... It was tough for me to leave it off. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like I said, my honorable mention list is maybe stronger than my top ten, but I really, I really love this album, and, and I, I agree with you more. There's a few clunkers on there, but not, not that many. No. You know, even Heart of Stone's cool, Love Chaser's cool, yep. Ninja's cool, Danger on the track. The album tracks are decent, but not as decent as Prisoners, especially. Oh no, no, no! I like those. Two. I'm with you 100. percent I like those two way, way better. But I think there's something about when I think back to '86. Hanging with buds, playing uh, air guitar on tennis rackets to the final countdown, and it just has a special, <laughs> special place in my heart. So I, uh, I just had to put it out there. <laughs> I'm sure you're not the only one that did that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. What do you got for number nine? All right, number nine. He took ACDC to record the soundtrack to Maximum Overdrive, his forthcoming directorial debut. They're one of King's favorite bands, and he personally chose the old ACDC songs that appear on the soundtrack. ACDC, who made who? Who made so, full who? disclosure, yeah. ACDC is my is my kiss for you. Right. ACDC will always hold a special place in my heart. They'll be my favorite forever, and I, you know, I probably listen to them at least once a day, every day. I mean, that's how much. That's what an ACDC guy I am. Nice. So the reason I put this one on here, even though it's more or less a greatest hit, sure. because it was the Maximum Overdrive soundtrack, is because. It kind of brought them back. If you recall, they came out with Flick of the Switch and Fly on the Wall, which I love both of those albums a lot. Fly on the Wall might be my favorite Brian Johnson era album of theirs. But who made who put them back on the map? They, they came out with that single, and boom, they were back. They had the video out, and then they made another video for You Shook Me All Night Long. Mm-hmm. And that catapulted the rest of it, the, the back catalog, just like Back in Black did. So it kind of got them back to that pure hard rock they were doing with Flick of the Switch and, and Fly on the Wall. They kind of ditched the bluesy rock, which mm-hmm. I love, don't get me wrong, but it really fit the Brian Johnson mid-80s era ACDC of hard rock. There was really not much touch of blues in there, which of course equates to the band not really liking those albums because they're a 70s blues rock-ish roots band. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, I'd say that the my top three on that album would be Sink the Pink, Shake Your Foundations, and then Ride On. So Sink the Pink is like in my top three of ACDC songs, mm-hmm. as, as is Who Made Who. Oh, but yeah. Shake Your Foundations, kind of interesting because they didn't have the same drum intro at all 
on shaker foundations on who made who as they did on fly on the wall. So it kind of throws a, a nerd like me off and picks up every <laughs> little detail of that stuff. But, and then they had a really good Bon Scott era song called ride on, which is like a blue, like pure blues, very slow song, very, very different for ACDC, but it worked because they got the attitude. But anyway, it really fit the genre for me. It's a, you know, they, they lightened it up in terms of like, how the guys were dressed a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, obviously they didn't go glam, but they went like light colored jean stuff versus like all the dark stuff. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, it, it holds a place in my heart. And again, you are a little bit older than I am, but you know, I was, I was born in 81, so I didn't really get to experience much of this. Mm-hmm. My roots are a little bit that I have older siblings and a father who's a total rocker that actually turned me on to ACDC. Nice. So, my first real ACDC album that I fell in love with, and that's the way this whole 80s thing started for me, was I just was so in love with Money Talks off the razor's edge, and then I yeah. just went full bore. Yep. And that's how I got started. So when I went back, this was probably one of the first tapes I got, and it was more or less a greatest hit. So it also holds that sentimental place in my heart. So there's my number nine. Nice. And, you know, I, I kind of forgot about this album, and, and I've I think I've – told you and, and probably it's evident by the podcast that I, I'm not a huge ACDC fan but I did yeah. have this album and I and I love this album I, lo- I think Who Made Who and, and this probably makes ACDC fans cringe I, I think it's one of their best songs I love it you know what I mean I, just, just because once again oh, same yeah. thing it caught me at that time but I remember always enjoying that whole album and I right on is awesome uh, with Bon Scott, a little confusing when you you know when you're younger and you don't know the backstory of ACDC and you buy that. And you're like, oh, wait yeah. a minute, they got a different yeah. singer. They got all these albums from the set. What you know? So, but yeah, no. And I, I think the video for Who Made Who is awesome with the um, with all the different little the Anguses. Am I thinking of the right video where they're all kind of like marching in unison with fake guitars? Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. So that's, yeah, it's etched exactly in my brain. Yeah, I love that song, and I and I had that album back in the day and thought it was cool. So even though I'm not the biggest ACDC fan, that was one that was definitely uh, I was a fan of that one. So I got right. a pretty like heavy it. hitter that I, that maybe some people will be surprised that I put it. What's this happening low. with you right now? When's the new album coming out? We're working on it right now. We just started rehearsing. Uh, we'll be in the studio mid March in Vancouver, Canada, with a new producer, and uh, hopefully it'll be out on the streets. June. You have any idea of title or anything like that? Right yet? now, it's Wanted, Dead or Alive. I think that's what the beard's for. Aha! Ooh. Yeah, the Clint Eastwood. Ooh, very nice. Get some spurs <laughs> or something like that. Well, I got Bon Jovi, uh, Slippery When Wet, uh, at nine. I mean, obviously, it's a monster album. Uh, I guess the only problem is it's not an album that I kind of revisit very often. I think radio and video and whatever has have pretty much destroyed you give love a bad name and living on a prayer right so you've got to be in the right mood and try to pretend like you know you're going back and hearing it for the first time again but um you know in a lot of ways to me this just it feels very similar to the final countdown you know I, i don't think i think every song is really good though i think it's a better all-around album in the final countdown but it's it's a big single heavy album you know what i mean it's had a lot of singles yeah. that were very big and and also it's like europe in the respect that it's their breakthrough they had a couple albums before that really didn't do much and then this was just like an explosion and you know the songwriting is spot on you've got desmond child helping out and bon jovi and richie are just great songwriters anyways i think the sound's a lot bigger 
And uh, I think this was the template that a lot of bands followed uh, for the rest of the decade. So really important album. Once again, another early purchase. You know, always is going to have good memories. And overall, like I said, it's got good deep tracks. And I think you're the same way as me. It's like, I like the singles, and but the singles sometimes get played out. And it's, the album's got to have some good deep tracks to kind of have a... Uh, a second life almost to, to live on where where you can go back and as an adult and say oh I really enjoy listening to this there's going to be another one that I'm going to mention where I feel like it's got strong singles and it doesn't have good deep tracks so there's more coming up and uh, I think everything was kind of based on the single you know what I mean and the video that was the thing yeah. so if you could bang yeah. out three four videos it didn't matter what the hell else was on that album was going to sell millions of records so <laughs> that's just the way it was yep exactly so that's stupid man I I couldn't agree more about that with the album tracks. I do really like this album a lot. Um, I, I I gravitate towards Let It Rock and Raise Your Hands at yeah. this point because the others are so played out. I still really like Wanted Dead or Alive. I really do. I do too. But like just to give you just to give you a um, a taste of where I I totally agree. Where I'm coming from here is they, when I got married. They said, you know, what what songs don't you want? And I said, I don't want Journey, Don't Stop Believing, and I don't want You Give Love a Bad Name or Living on a Prayer. I love those songs, but I can't do it. I'm no. not doing those anymore. I don't even want Shook Me All Night Long. No, no. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? It, it, those songs are so played out, but I totally agree. And also, huge album. I, I try my hardest to really, really get into Bon Jovi quite often, and I, I kind of gravitate towards it, and then I kind of fall off a little bit. Yeah. It just... You know, I, I totally agree with you. It's a huge album. I really, really like that uh, that era of Bon Jovi. And the same thing where the first two albums they came out with, oh, my God, did they catapult after this, you know? Yeah. This was released, and all of a sudden, ooh, there's two prior albums I didn't know about. Yeah. Boom, platinum. So same thing happened with Europe, ACDC, when Highway to Hell and Back in Black came out. Same thing. Yeah. So yeah. it... It did the trick, and it set the tone. That's for damn sure. And don't you look at like those first three albums? At least I do. As like a bookend of Bon Jovi, I feel like the the eighties hair metal Bon Jovi is kind of ending right there. Even though New Jersey has some of that, I feel like New Jersey and on is like we're more like uh, I don't know. They were, they were changing. You know what I mean? It's not as oh, yeah. metal. You know, if it ever really was metal, it's questionable. But even for me. Oddly enough, and this is kind of off track of where we're going, but I never heard the first Bon Jovi until really maybe in the past 10 years. I'll be honest with you. Like, I never had that album. I I, I bought 7800 Fahrenheit, and then I bought everything after Slippery, but I never got that first one. I think maybe Runaway never really registered with me for some reason back in the day, so I never got yeah. it. And then one day I got it, and I was like, oh, my God, this might be their best album. You know what I mean? So it is weird. While, like, you just, and it's, it's, it's age. It's maturity, your ears, and your mindset change. So, like, I've, something about it was I didn't want to touch it back in the day, but then when I got it as an adult, I'm like, holy shit. Uh, these guys were spot on right from yep. the beginning. It's just the rest of the world didn't get it yet. You know what I mean? So... Oh, absolutely. It's amazing how people's tastes change over the years. And that's the great thing about this genre as well, is you can go back and revisit something you didn't like mm-hmm. in high school, and then all of a sudden you go, damn, I missed out on that all these years. This is awesome. So that's great. Another highlight of this genre. <laughs> what do you got for eight? Number eight, I got one more that's kind of random that um, I hope you know people hear it and go check them out, and they're worth it. A band called Fate. Uh, Fate is a Danish band. Um, this album's called A Matter of Attitude. came out in 86, obviously. 
four eighties albums from eighty five to uh from eighty five to ninety. So this is one of those bands that has almost that Warren D. Martini distortion from invasion of your privacy, killer just just epic guitars. Mm-hmm. Um very European sense of humor, so they could they really like uh, enjoy kind of speaking English and getting off on the on the American lyrics. So it's it's kind of funny in that sense, but it's really great arena rock. The singer definitely stands out. He just he's got a really cool voice. And again, I found this band only in the last few years, which is um, it's rare to find for me to to just kind of discover a band in the last couple of years and really get into them. Um, some of the standouts. Heart of the Rock, Point of No Return, and uh, a song called Hunters, like a really cool uh, mid-tempo feel, and uh, Summer Love. So just really good opening riffs. It kind of reminds me of the, it, it kind of reminded me of the Poetic Justice, Lillian Axe era, Ooh. to be honest. And I, I thought I thought that you might like that, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, the, you know, the song She's My Salvation on Poetic Justice has got like one of my favorite guitar riffs of all time mm. especially a Lillian X riff mm-hmm. a lot of it's like that you know Lillian has that really deep really ahead of their time guitar mm. and this is kind of the same way with this band you know they're a, a European Danish definite hair band metal band and they just they came out with catchy stuff but it's a little deeper you go wow I can't believe they came up with that it's just a really like happy Euro 80s you know influenced by the US type of metal and it's a really cool arena rock band, and, and like I said, all four of their albums are great. Their follow-up album has this insane, catchy single on it that you guys got to check out. So, anyway, Fate F A T E, great band. Wow, gotta admit it, never never heard of them. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like in, in, in the last one, or uh, I guess it was two episodes ago. I believe the band Treat came up, or maybe it was last episode. Yeah, Treat did come uh, up. Yeah. And it's like that. I mean, it's it's the same thing. Fate and Treat kind of go hand in hand. Another European band, fairly decent following, and a lot of albums that came out in that era. And um, you know, not many American fans, but you know, Spotify digs them all up. And um, check that out too. Treat and Fate are kind of hand in hand. Hmm. Cool, man. I'm I'm gonna go back and check it out. So my number eight. Yeah, please do. Number eight is Vinnie Vincent Invasion. <laughs> so I had to, had to show Vinny Vincent some love, and you know I definitely bought this back in the day when it came out. And I feel like I thought it was good, but I think it's grown on me over time. And and, and so oh, yeah. I've got so many thoughts written down about this. I'll try to condense it so we're not here all night talking about this. But and I think for me it's <laughs> tough because. I've talked to Robert Fleischman and I've talked to different people. I've talked to Goran Edmund, who was almost a, a singer of Vinnie Vincent Invasion, who ended up in Ingve. So, like, I have, I've nerded out on the, the lore of this album, but like way more than I ever should have. But I guess what's confusing about this, and hopefully maybe some of the listeners will, will feel the same way, is that, that even after talking to some of these guys, I'm still kind of confused about what the hell was going down with Vinnie Vincent Invasion. So, you got Robert Fleischman in there as the vocalist right and when you see pictures of robert fleischman he just he looks like he is a studio guy because he doesn't look all glammed out like the other dudes so in one breath even i want to when i gotta go back and listen to this episode too because i forget what people say but he he seemed like he was a studio guy and that's one breath he said that but then he was talking about some contract 
he didn't agree with the contract, so he left the band. But I thought you weren't in the band. You know what I mean? And then the whole Mark Slaughter thing, they, they, they fed – once again, I, could, I, looked, I tried to look this up, but I couldn't find it exactly. But I remember reading about it as a kid. They made up some bullshit excuse that like Mark Slaughter was the guy they wanted, but they lost his information. So that you know they made up some bullshit story like Mark Slaughter has some fake well, backstory or something. That, I think. That, yeah, that story was confirmed bullshit. And after hearing all the interviews later on, uh, especially after Vinny came back out of hiding, um, they said, "Oh, Mark Slaughter sent a tape in. They really loved it, but his girlfriend didn't put the proper return address on the envelope, <laughs> which was all made up bullshit." It was because Fleischman didn't want it in a band anymore, yep. and so they had to go dig Mark up and find him, and that was the story. Yeah. So, once again, it's so much weirdness that goes on with it. So, let's get on to the music, I guess. The high points, really, literally, no pun intended, are Robert Fleischman's vocals, right? They are higher than hell, but, <laughs> but they're really good, man, especially back on the streets. Oh, yeah. Holy shit. So good. And, you know, shoot you full of love. And my favorite, which I feel like a song that's just underrated and doesn't get enough love, is No Substitute. I love No Substitute. Mm-hmm. It's the catchiest, cool pop metal song ever. Uh, and obviously, Boys Are Gonna Rock is great. But I've heard it. You know, that one's another one. It's kind of overplayed, I guess, as time goes on. But, um, you know, and Vinny's, or Vinny's got great riffs. The thing I don't care about, there's a few things I don't like about the album. I don't like the drum sound. I know... I, I did listen to an interview with Bobby Rock or something. I read something with Bobby Rock, and, and the, the whole album was done with a drum machine, and then Vinny just wanted him to go back and play exactly like the drum machine. I don't know. I don't really get it. I just feel like the drums don't really do it for me. But a lot of albums in 86 are kind of, you know, this mid-'80s era are like that. And then his solos. I mean, oh, damn. You know, like he's – it's, it's – they're ridiculous. You know, I like solos – that are melodic, you know, I'll give, I know you're not a big Kiss guy, but I'll give Ace Frehley as an example. I mean, I could probably yeah. hum the guitar solo to Dr. Love. It, it fits perfectly. It's just this little, little nugget of, of its, you know, that belongs there and it, and it works perfectly and it's got, it makes sense. Vinny's just like puking yeah. out a bunch of notes, you know what I mean? And I think Simmons mm-hmm. used to refer to this like, it sounded like a buzzing bee or something, or maybe that was Mark St. John that he was referring to, but it's the same idea, you know, <laughs> it's just puking notes. But but he but see I feel like when he was with Paul and Gene they reeled him in and like the solos aren't too bad uh, on lick it up and some of that stuff but when you get to this he's just he's just going crazy so um, I don't know I like I said I really enjoy it there's just a couple things about it that kind of boggle my brain <laughs> but other than that it's got great songs and then I guess the final thing I'll say about this is one thing that kind of perplexes me about this guy everybody loves his songwriting but it, but in reality he's done nothing since 88 right and yeah the yeah. songs that he did do are all rejects from either that warrior thing that he was doing before kiss or songs that kiss rejected so i feel like he really had mm-hmm. a creative era period but i don't know if he's really i know he wrote some riffs on revenge he done you know he's in a couple things and he had an album that got shelved but let's face it that's all basically equals nothing so he's just i i would like to see if the guy still has anything left in him so I don't know that this was like a grand plan that he thought out through the decades, but the lore surrounding Vinnie Vincent, especially with Kiss fans, and then these two albums, especially this one, is so vast. And when he came back out, it increased even more. Uh-huh. And I'm like, was he smart enough to like plan this out decades ahead of time, like 30 years? But <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the amount of attention that this album 
have now, I feel like it's almost more than it was then. I think so, um, too. I, yeah, and, and poor, back to the drum sounds, poor Bobby Rock, he had to go back and forth between Texas and L.A. three times in his band just to get the drum sounds right because they kept tweaking him. Mm-hmm. And he finally threw in the towel and just moved out there, and then, you know, he was a permanent member. But you're right, they, they gave him hell. They gave all these guys hell. I couldn't imagine being the, the singer for Vinnie Vincent. It would have been miserable. No. But do you want to make love? That that chorus, oh, my God. You're saying uh, No Substitute, yeah. which is up there, too. It's, it's the same thing for me. I love this album. Yeah. I, I absolutely love this album. I think it's fantastic. I love how glammy they are. I don't care. I think right. they look killer. I don't care how glammy they are. I think that's a good look for them. His <laughs> Everything about this this thing was extreme it, the boys are gonna rock videos out of control it's out of control like but, it all works it's just it's just out of control yeah exactly it worked great um i like i think i like fleischman more than slaughter to be honest on this mm-hmm. album mm-hmm. um for, compared to the next i love slaughter don't get me wrong i love his album all systems go and i love slaughter fleischman fits on this album yeah That's, he's the right singer for this one i like it a lot and you know listening to all the Vinnie vincent interviews and the um, your interviews and uh, the interviews with Bobby Rock, there's so much surrounding this this record. It, it, it you you'd think that this was the next Bon Jovi. The way that there's so much surrounding this thing. <laughs> you know what? I got to just throw something out there, and, and I, 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 all right, poison's coming up. All right, I'm just gonna just throw that out there. But I'm telling you, I wanted to do a little bit of research about the poison uh, look with the cat dragged in, right? And I'm telling you, yeah. there's like nothing, right? There's really not much about the creation of this album. But freaking Vinnie Vincent Invasion, an album that sold way less, there's so much shit about it, you you couldn't even get through it all in a day. So, yeah, just great point. Great point, man. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like it. Well, cool. All right, what you got next? This would be your seven, right, I think. I'm, I'm starting to lose. See, as yep. soon as Vinnie Vincent comes in, everything gets crazy. But I think this is seven. This is seven. So my number seven, also throw people, is a live album by Crocus. So <laughs> it's going to shock people that it, it, it made it over some of the other bands on my honorable mention list. But Crocus is another one that's near and dear to me. Um, after not owning another album for five years between 1990 and 95, when I was like, all right, who sounds like ACDC? Right. I've, right. I've spent I've spent my ACDC everything, so my, my brother goes, well, check out Crocus. They, you know, that singer could be Bond's brother. And I go, okay. So, of course, I heard Headhunter first, and I go, oh, my God, he sounds just like Bond. This is fantastic. So then the Crocus obsession began, and I still love Crocus. I actually got to see them at the Whiskey in 2015 in L.A., and it was so cool because wow. he was, you know, the band was 10 feet away from me. And the not cool thing was they don't like playing any of the, the hits they only what? play like the real early 80s stuff and then their brand new stuff they won't play anything from the blitz or this this era at all they one of the members just doesn't like it do so they, they play screaming in the night they did do that okay so so that's they, that's, that's the awesome that's song yeah okay all right okay that all right we'll give them a pass yeah, exactly that exactly <laughs> that was on headhunter which is which apparently headhunter is okay oh okay that's okay, okay. but anything yeah anything from the blitz on till their newer stuff and the like mid early late 2000 era then they could play that and that's okay which was fine you know it again there's not so many super fans that go to the shows so they got to play the songs that people know mm-hmm. but yeah anyway so this is alive and screaming so crocus um 
came out with an album in 86 called Change of Address, and it was a flop. So they started picking up a lot of momentum with Headhunter. It went platinum. Um, the Blitz was cool. It had uh, Midnight Maniac and, of course, Ballroom Blitz, mm-hmm. which is whatever. Um, so they had some hits. They had some success. They were playing with, you know, Accept and Def Leppard and decently big bands. So then they came out with this total flop called Change of Address. It wasn't well received. It's okay. It's a decent album. Um, they kind of lost me a little bit. They, they decided to add a reggae riff on a song called Say Goodbye. And it just was like, <laughs> oh my God, what are you doing compared to Headhunter and the Blitz? But anyway, um, I'm okay with bands going full glam. And that's what 86 did, like we yeah. talked about. 86 changed all these guys. And they went, okay, I got to fit in, I guess. If you want me on MTV, I got to look like Vince Neil. Here we go. Boom. So they went glam, which is fine. The back of the Change of Address album, they look killer. I like it. But between 85 and 88, they could have, they really, I wish they would have maintained a bit of a harder, playing harder while looking light. Let's mm, just say that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they played this, they played this, uh, the Texas Jam that year, and I believe it was Dio and Keel, and can't remember who else, but on YouTube, there's like these Pro Shot commercials, and they have Dio and Keel and Crocus, and so you know there's a Pro Shot long form video out there, but sure. it's not released, which I'd love to see. But there's a, uh, there's a song on there they put out, a, a brand new one called Lay Me Down. So Lay Me Down was a studio song that they played live that they added to this album. And if they would just have used that recipe for their 86 album, Change of Address, they would have really continued their momentum and really done well and probably been as, as big or bigger as they were with Headhunter or The Blitz. So if anybody wants to hear Crocus 86 era check out the song Lay Me Down. It's, it's perfect. It's a great song for that era. Um, it was kind of, I got this at the, we have a flea market here, and I live in Santa Cruz, California, flea market, swap meet, and that's where I found this tape. And uh, had this really cool fold-out, and the album artwork on the front is pretty scary. It's got a real grizzly old monster, and uh, it's called Alive and Screaming live album. I'd say check it out. Crocus was at their peak in terms of their live performance it's it's got another place in my heart so had to add it nice you know crocus is a band that i've never been huge into uh, but i don't not like them i just never really connected with them you know i I know that i know their main songs i think i had heart attack did that come out like in 88 or 9 or or so heart attack yeah okay i I had that album but like if people don't get into like the little bit harder early 80s like light glam stuff if they're if they're more into the glam stuff i'd tell them gravitate towards heart attack uh-huh. so if they would release heart attack in 86 as opposed to 88 they like changed labels and no one gave a shit about them anymore yeah that sucked because that album's really good yeah That's got i remember a really that. really yeah great production great songs super catchy super hard like yeah really that's in my top three crocus albums for sure so here's my seven, man. And Poison does not tell you how to look, how to dress, how to act, or anything. All we're saying is when you come to the show with our band, we're going to entertain you to death. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're going we're gonna to go out there, and that's all we ever want to get across. As long as they leave with a smile and humming one of our songs, we're content. And it's Poison. Look what the cat dragged in. Another one where people might be like, how is that not higher? And I will explain. But, uh, but it has to be on the list because it's definitely a glam classic. Um 
and, and like I was saying before, I, I wanted to do a little research on it because I've heard things like the album didn't cost much to make, and I thought, oh, maybe there'd be some yeah. stuff out there. But honestly, I couldn't find a ton about the creation of this album. And the hard part is that these guys don't do a lot of podcast interviews, any or any of them, not that I know of, not very no. many. Bobby Dahl and CC Devell are completely, basically untouchable odds they don't do social media really you just you know there's not much out there on him brett michaels let's face yeah. it he's kind of a different tier of an artist he's, he's a little on the bigger tier probably harder to get yeah. and um yeah. ricky rocket i've tried i'm trying to get him and i've had some banter with him back and forth but you know nothing's really surfaced so it is what it is so 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 we're not getting all these stories like we did with vinnie vincent invasion and some of these other guys who've, who've told you everything about you know the creation of some of these albums but um um, this one, one thing, another thing that I found out, which I mean, I knew, but I just was refreshing my memory was this was one of the early partnerships between Enigma and Capitol Records. So I want, they, I want to say this might be one of the first albums that came out when those two combined forces. And, uh, this is another one, man. You see a lot of these albums, um, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction was kind of like this. And it's the same thing with this album. The first single didn't do much. It's the second single that that was really big. You know what I mean? So talk dirty, yeah. cry, cry tough was the first single. Nobody really cared. It was '87, yep, really, exactly. when this when this album took off. You know, so it's uh, yeah. some. There are certain albums that don't come, you know, right out of the gate. You know, huge. But um, you know, I I love this album. I, I love Brett Michaels' voice. Uh, he's somebody I've always, as a kid, always tried to copy, and maybe to this day I still try to copy, but I don't really always sound like oh, him, yeah. but, but I love the way that he sings, and I even like the way C.C. DeVille plays, and people, some people don't like it, I think it fits perfectly with what they do, and I thought there were another cool band like Motley where everybody knew the guys, everybody knew Brett, C.C., Bobby, Ricky, you know what I mean, everybody knew all the four guys, um, this is another one of those albums where I'm the same, you sound like a broken record here, but for me, at least today, maybe back in the day, I was down with listening to this whole album. Today, I am not down with listening to this whole album. I, I got to be honest. I like the singles. I think the singles are super strong. They're strongest songs, even though I don't ever want to hear Talk Dirty to Me again. But I, I will at least acknowledge <laughs> that these are their strongest songs. At least for me, man, I, I don't circle back to Mama, I Want to Go to the Show and uh, Number One Bad Boy. I, I don't know why. The, the rest of these songs don't yeah. do a lot for me. And there'll be another album that I'll mention that's like the opposite of this, where I feel like it's got the strong singles and the strong deep tracks. For me, this is not the case. But one thing I wanted to talk about that's just more or less this album, but also in will include other bands, is back in the day, like I said, you were a wee little kid, right? You were only uh, <laughs> five or something. You, were, you weren't getting into all this stuff. But for me, the big thing, and it was probably when you got a little older too, though, but, but for me... It was you had to have the T-shirt, right? So I remember buying the T-shirt that had the four faces on the front, and I remember my mom saw my mom saw the back of it, and it says "Talk Dirty to Me," right? Now I'm only ten years old. Man, I was eleven. I don't know, ten or eleven years old at that point. And my mom was so mad. You can't wear that to school. You can't do that, right? But then this is the same lady that bought me Wasps Fuck Like a Beast album without question. So, you know, like I said, I guess it was whatever mood your parent was in at the time, right? But I, I just, I just like, I want everybody just to reflect back on, like you said, every mall you went to, sometimes department stores, it didn't matter. They all had the rock shirts. You had to have the buttons, the patches, the back patches, the poster rack, always had, uh, you know, metal posters. And then all of us, 
had to cover every inch of our walls with metal pinups, tapestries, posters. So just take one little break from all this and think back to those days. How cool was that? It was, it was just, it's a time that will never be replicated, especially in an era where physical things mean nothing now, right? Everything's digital. You can have a digital poster, but you can't really have one no. you know, on your wall as much as no. you did back in the day, man. So that's what I got. Oh, it was, it was, it was a religion. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the beauty of it all, you know? And just, I did everything Ten, a little like ten years late. I, I was the the baseball football jock guy, mm-hmm. cranking shout at the devil while, while everybody else was cranking Eminem. <laughs> so yeah, I did I, I did it all the same as you, but ten years late. It was pretty interesting. But uh, <laughs> this album this album may appear on my list. Maybe later. I bet you it does. <laughs> <laughs> it has to. It's one of those. I couldn't agree more though about that, and I'll get into to mine. And then I think if I go on to number six. This number six might come up on your list later, so I'm gonna throw it out to you. And talk about night songs. Maybe. I have to. Cinderella (laughs) night songs. I mean, so this is the classic comparison of, well, the cover sure doesn't sound like the album, if that makes sense. If you it look does. at the cover, you don't think that it's going to sound like the actual sound coming out yep. of it. So, and, and a lot of a lot of bands fell into that where they go, "What the hell is this?" I have a bunch of girls on the cover, and then it's a bunch of dudes completely killing it. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, this is this is. I I, I wanted to put it higher, but to me. This is the album where they went full hard rock. Yes. And then even even on Long Cold Winter, you started to see they're trending towards some some Southern stuff and the the little Richard era of you know like, oh, yeah. of the Heartbreak Station <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, okay, if I'm gonna listen to Cinderella, it's gonna be about five songs off of Long Cold Winter. And like almost every song off the night song, mm-hmm. so I feel like this is their best. Um, push, push! Yeah. I know I've read interviews and heard about heard Tom Kiefer saying that he wants nothing to do with this song. What? This song is my it is my um, hot and bothered. It's got the same kind of catchy intro, the same drum beat. I love push, push. It's so tongue in cheek. It's so exactly what you think they're talking about. But yeah. of all the songs on this album, even though "Shake Me" and and uh, somebody save and somebody save me are just epically killer, I still I gravitate towards "Push Push." Um, somebody, like I said, somebody save me and shake me in from the outside. That's another one where it's not a hit, but I love in from the outside. It just really mm-hmm. it, it kicks in big time. Um, it, it does kind of hint as to what's to come, though, because he goes with the lower register at the beginning of the song, but it really works great. It's like, um, you know, when Dizzy Dean wanted to start doing the lower register stuff, and he said adios from Britney Fox and went on to Black Eyed Susan, mm-hmm. and they did all the lower register, and he barely got into the, to the high stuff. Now, I know you've, you and I have also talked about Britney Fox before, I think their three are way more consistent and killer than Cinderella's three. 
and that'll that'll piss a lot of people off. <laughs> but I just I do I do I think I mean there's history between the two bands. Yeah, the two guys were in Cinderella prior, so we know that history. But Cinderella took off, and Britney never really did. Yeah, but I like Britney's Britney's three. I think they're way more consistent than uh, than Cinderella's. Obviously, uh-huh. um, I don't even listen to Heartbreak Station. I can't. I I put it on. And I just think, what yeah. what are you? What were you thinking? But um, this album it epitomizes a lot. I mean, the, the look, the cover. They played in some really good opening. Or they were the opening band for some really good arena uh, status bands in those years. And um, I think they also set the tone. And it's it's odd because you always feel like Poison was so much bef- more before Cinderella, but they it basically came out the same year. Mm-hmm. But it seems like Poison Cinderella's big brother, but they're not. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. But I got to see them um, play with Poison actually twice, I believe. And um, they were they were super sharp. I saw them once in I believe it was ninety nine two thousand when they came out, like kind of regrouped for the first time, and then uh, again in the, like two thousand five probably. But they were really really strong live still. So Cinderella Night Songs is my number six. No, I'm just gonna remain silent on this album. It may it, it may <laughs> appear on the list somewhere. Uh, but I'm right. I have a very unpopular opinion too. I know I shouldn't. I shouldn't like be this think this, but I do. I like Britney Fox better than than Cinderella. I do. I don't know why. I know. I, I don't care. Like I don't care why. <laughs> it doesn't matter why. I just I do. don't care either. <laughs> so I'll just leave it at that, and then people can boo and stuff when they hear that. Okay, so the, the, the metal police are going to come by and get you for that comment. Yeah, that's all good. All right. So, <laughs> am I at, what am I at, man? Am I at six? Six. Okay. I did a crappy yep, job okay. on my right. Some some are numbered and some aren't. So I don't know why. I, I, I did a crappy job. Okay. <laughs> Number six. Ozzy, Ultimate Sin, man. I love this album. Mm. I've never been, like, I'm never going to say that I'm, like, a huge Ozzy guy. Like, I don't, I, I know, once again, unpopular opinion. People worship those first two albums. I, I don't know. I just, I take them or leave them. I just, I wasn't there for those albums. I was there for the other two. Uh, well, I know there's a spark in the moon is, is in between those first two. But anyways, I was in there for Ultimate Sin and No Rest for the Wicked. So those are the albums that I really like. And, um... Yeah, I love every every song in this album is good. So we're like I said, some of these were like, oh, there's clunkers at the end. No, this whole album I can listen to this all the way through, man. And I know that people don't like this is this glam era, and he's got the sequins and all that shit. But you know what? He's still a freak. He's still a nut job. Like he still looked like a freak, even though he was in you know drag or glam or whatever you want to call it. So he still was crazy. Yeah. And the the riffs with Jakey Lee. And the, the soloing is all spot on. Randy Castillo, it's all good. Obviously, the singles are great. I mean, Shot in the Dark, okay, once again, overplayed song. That, we, that still to this day gets a lot of airplay, which is pretty cool. And I thought Ultimate Sin was is even a better single. I like that song even better. But it's just so cool, man. Th- a lot of the nuclear war stuff is coming in there, like Thank God for the Bomb and Killer of Giants. And, I mean, I could just... All I gotta do is rattle off the song titles, and and they're all right there in my head. So um, that's all I got to say about this one. I'm, like I said, I'm never gonna profess to be the the biggest Ozzy fan, but something about this album, first one I got, I was just digging the whole the whole album and everything about it. So great, great release. You know, um, the, the, I own 
three Ozzy albums, uh, Ultimate Sin, No Rest for the Wicked, and uh, No More Tears. Mm-hmm. Is that the title of the album? Yep. I think. Anyway, um, I really like this album. It's not on my list, but I got into this album a few years back, and I really, I, I love the guitar playing. I love Shot in the Dark. I think it's a great song. Mm-hmm. I think when bands did this and they kind of lightened up, if you will, it always made it better. It, it really did. It always made it better in my eyes. They just, they were catchier. They reached a broader audience that way. They sounded better. They, they, I don't know, everything about it just looked bigger and better. So this album and the next one or two were my choice Ozzy albums. But I don't, I don't really do Ozzy. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't really like his voice very much, to be honest. I don't yep. like Black Sabbath with Ozzy. I like oh. it with Dio. And I, and I, I just never, I don't know what it is. It's just like, I'm, I'm screwed up, man. I don't do Guns N' Roses. And I don't do Ozzy. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> and, and I, and I don't know what, and it's not a, it's not a kick. I mean, 40 million fans can't be wrong. No. I get that. It's something in my head. It's some scientific explanation of why that voice doesn't sound good to me. Yep. And I just don't, I, I don't dig Axel and I don't dig Ozzy. Mm-hmm. Although on these few albums, the musicianship really brought me in, and I think they toned Ozzy down a little bit. Yep, and he sounds really killer. I yeah. really like it. Now, and, and accept is kind of another one where I can't really do accept. No, oh, it's a rough voice. You, it's rough. Yeah, if you if you put another singer in there, it wouldn't be Ozzy. It wouldn't be the album. Right. But I'd probably like it more, which yeah. is the sad thing. <laughs> right, right. And you know, you you hit on a good point, and and you know, like. And this was just something that was coming to me as we were talking is that I think, you know, when you say like they, you know, they dialed it back or they glammed it up a little bit. You know what I think they also did was that they they got really conscious of songwriting, right? We need to write a hit. And then what's happening is I feel like it's a it's a competition thing and and people are are getting more creative because of the competition. You know, Motley's writing a hit. Poison's writing a hit. Ozzy, you you know what I mean? It's like you you're conscious of like, wow, that's a hit song that crossed over. It's it's a metal song, but it's on the charts. We need to write a song that goes on the charts. You know what I mean? So I feel like, and you know, once again, some people don't care for that kind of stuff. But honestly, and you, I, I guarantee you're gonna agree with this. Um, that's what the modern albums that classic bands put out today is lacking. Right? It's like I'm yeah. I won't I'm not gonna. I'm not going to say any names, right? <laughs> We're going to protect the guilty and the innocent. I will not say a name, but a lot of them, I don't know what goes on through their head. Is it just, are they saying like, well, I'm this XYZ band, not XYZ. I'm just XYZ band from the eighties. And if I do an album, uh, my fans are going to buy, I can, whatever I want to crap out is they'll, they'll get into it. But when you think back in the day, granted it had a machine behind it, but you can take that mindset mm-hmm. and apply it to today. You can get song focus. You can bring in songwriters. You can do things. But I feel like they don't do it. They just do whatever they want. And in some respects, that's cool. But I think most fans are going to always look at those albums that had all those ingredients as the classic, the best albums. And these new ones, you might like a song or two, but you're never going to look at those the way that you looked at the at those classic albums. And it's not just oh, no. nostalgia. No. It isn't. I know it's not nostalgia because I know when a classic band puts out a good album and good song because it 
my ears start, you know, tingling. You know what I mean? So something happens. I it can be done. It's not me. It's it's definitely them. Well, that's them. It's not me. There's there's a reason why in my head, Warrant came out with three albums. Winger came out with three albums. Right. White Lions got four, four and a half yep. ish. There's a reason for that, and and that's exactly what you're saying. Is now you got Joe Elliott from Def Leppard, who I'm absolutely obsessed with Def Leppard. I know you, you don't love them, but I at they're they're right there with A C D C for me. And now we got seventies glam out of Joe Elliott because he can now. That was his roots. Right. And I, I respect that that's his roots and that's I mean, my roots are eighties glam, his is our seventies glam. Right. That's totally acceptable. Yeah. We're in different uh genres or uh, eras. But um I don't need to hear you know, Def Leppard covering a sweet song again. I want to hear <laughs> Def Leppard doing Love and Affection. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, <laughs> So what they do these days is you're absolutely right. They go, hey, guess what? We're going to release an EP, one single at a time, maybe an album, but it's going to be exactly what we want. And it, to us, we're like, eh. Yeah, <laughs> it's like self-indulgent. It's, it's nice, good for you, but... You know, like I said, you're, I don't know, there was just something going on in the 80s. And it, it, I'm telling you, it just, it wasn't just money and outside writers. You know, it was, it was a, a sensibility of songwriting and uh, competition. There's just so many aspects that were going into it. And today, you know, 99% of those things are, don't exist. So that's why you get what you get. I never really thought of that. So that's a really good point. I never really did either. <laughs> it just came to me now. <laughs> <laughs> it just came up. <laughs> it just came up, man. What do you got for five? Five, I got poison. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I had to do it. They're, they're, it's such a staple. It is. Between Motley and Poison, they, they really they really changed my life. I mean, yeah. they made me feel more badass, to be honest. I was, <laughs> I was, I've always been a good kid, but like, you know, at that point I was like, ah, I'm going to loosen things up a little bit and be a little, a little more edgy, you know? And between Shout of the Devil with the four photos and Look What the Cat Dragged In with the four photos, I'm like, dude, these guys look like girls, but damn. This is a good album. It's hard. It's awesome. I really like it. Um, my song choices, I really like Look What the Cat Dragged In as a song. Yeah, I me feel too. Like, Probably the best. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, it's my favorite on the album for sure. I love that they open with it. It's harder. It's way harder than the rest of them, which they included it on that first best of they came out with and said, man, this was never a single, but it's just such a fan favorite. We had to put it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the first line of introduction to poison besides when I was a kid and uh, flesh and blood came out. And I obviously knew about it then, but you know, when I actually got into the band a little later on in, in like my early high school years, look what the cat dragged in was my, was my song. It was epic. My choice album cut though is play dirty. I know that, some of like you really like the singles on the album. I feel like Play Dirty is one of those where the borderline could have been a single. You know, it's yeah, it was right yeah. there. I really like the chorus. And and I just love the fact that they were raw and they didn't hide the glam stuff at all. They didn't care. They didn't care one bit. They went as glammy as possible. Their club shows were outrageous. They all got along. And that's the one thing that, you know, it's like it's like rap, you know, once we dig into these bands and we read the books and we read the biographies and we 
we, we listen to interviews and you go, oh my God, this is kind of ruining it for me. Like, I know, I know. Rat hated, <laughs> yep. rat hated each other after Invasion. Poison hated each other during uh, Flesh and Blood. It's like, they all got along here and you can tell. Yeah. And they embraced that life big time. Like, that. that's what made them bigger than life is the way that Brett Michaels wrapped off David Lee Roth style questions that were just like, what did he just say? Mm-hmm. But it works, but how did he come up with that? That's awesome. But yeah, they were a big influence on me and a big influence on the scene as well. You know, they were, they were right there with Motley influencing pretty much everybody throughout the years. Every other year they had an album. Poison did the same thing with that. I mean, that's look at, look what they did to quiet, right? All of a sudden, Dubrow had hair, which is kind of funny, and <laughs> and and it was huge. It was, you know. I mean, that they they created this. They created the reason why all these bands probably went that way mm-hmm. that year. Yep. Motley probably did it in '85, but they they carried it on. Oh yeah, one hundred percent, man. And speaking of yeah, bands well, that jumped on the bandwagon, here's one right here. Judas Priest, Turbo, and uh, you know, and once again, oh, yeah. I don't care what anybody says. This album kicks major ass. I don't get me wrong. I do like some of the earlier Priest albums. I definitely don't like the '70s ones. No way. I'm not even touching those. But I do like. I'm not. I'm not no. a fool. I like Screaming for Vengeance and all those albums. But this was the one I heard first. I think once again, I think pretty much every song on this album is great. I love like Parental Guidance. And out in the cold, and my, my favorite now that I really didn't register much to me as a kid, but nowadays I love the song "Reckless." So freaking awesome, man! And this this was my priest. I thought it was great fun, and uh, you know I don't care what anybody thinks. They still play Turbo Lover live. They had some video exposure. You know, I think this was a platinum seller. They did pretty good with it. So, and I like it that they don't sweep it under the rug. They did a they did an anniversary reissue of it a few years back, and like I said, they still play Turbo. And uh, I think it's good stuff, man. I, I've well written, well performed. It's 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 great stuff. God, I can't believe you have it on your list at number five because I got it at number four. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, this is perfect. Now you can talk about it, and you can do your number four. <laughs> it's perfect. So, full disclosure. This wasn't my number one. This was my number one until ah, last night I had a change of heart. Okay. But I love this album. I feel like everything you're saying, people will absolutely hate the fact that I'm preaching this album so much. Mm-hmm. I love Painkiller. I love Ram It Down. Me too. I like Defenders. You know, they're yeah. all killer. But this is the year that and I didn't want to use this example earlier like I used Quiet Riot, but if you can turn Judas Priest glam, you know there's something really going on. <laughs> the scene you is know happening, I mean? man, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, they got docking opening for them. I love the fact that they look the way they look, but they sound the way they sound. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's a lot, it, it, a lot of the bands did that in this era. They look really different, but they sound really killer. And with Priest on this album, they, again, I want to say they, they kind of toned it down, but what they did was they went crazy with the synthesizers. Yeah. Synth- synthesizers. And I've, I've listened to interviews with, like, uh, Ian Hill, I believe, is a bass player. Yep. 
And he said, yeah, I really like this album, but we did go a little overboard with the synth. You know, it was a bit much, but it worked. It really, it, I think it was great. Um, Locked In. Yeah. Oh, that's a, yeah. I mean, come on. That one, Private Property and Parental Guidance. Oh, Private like Property. I didn't mention that one. I like that one. They're all, dude, they're all good. Wild, yeah. Wild Nights and Crazy Day, Hot Crazy, whatever the hell it's called. But that, you know, they're all, yep. they're all good. Good songs. I know. Yeah, I totally agree. And the stage was massive. It fit the time. I mean, that's why they were. All, this was almost my number one, is because of the influence that this year and this era had. They even changed these guys. So this was almost, almost. But anyway, let's hear about your number four. Well, number four, man, is from a rock icon who went solo. And it is David Lee Roth, Eat Him and Smile. Ooh, and, nice. And, and I nice. was, you know, I guess out of anybody, I was probably the most aware of Van Halen before I got really into metal because I remember I'd go to the roller rink uh, as a kid and they used to project the videos for like Hot for Teacher and Panama and Jump uh, on the wall. So I, I remember like oh, yeah. I, I knew about these guys before I even really knew much about hard rock or heavy metal. But, you know, first of all, you got to say the band is just gold, man. You got Billy Sheehan and you got Steve Vai, especially for me, Steve Vai. Like, I don't know what it is. I'm 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 not gonna say I'm a Steve Vai nut, but when Steve Vai kind of conforms his craziness into something like David Lee Roth or White Snake, I just think it's so cool. It just adds a cool dimension, and it's way more unique than any of these other players like George Lynch or Demartini. They're great, but they got nothing on Vai when it comes to like being weird and doing odd things. You know, no. so I, I love I just love that, yeah. and I think this is just Dave Roth just going full-on Dave Roth you know it's it's fun when it's heavy yeah. it's really heavy and of course you got your goofy covers that he did it, you could tell where that came from in Van Halen you know he's doing uh that's life and, and all that kind of stuff and and I just think the whole thing's great shy boy is is the standout and obviously Yankee Rose yep. going crazy but he just he you know he was kind of like the the godfather of of hair metal and glam metal you know what I mean I think everybody Oh, like yeah, you absolutely. mentioned with, with Brett Michaels, they were all, Vince Neil too, they were all copying this dude. This dude kind of invented it. And I'm never going to go come across and say, like, I'm the biggest Van Halen fan or the biggest David Lee Roth fan, but something about this album, the time of it, the timing, uh, it just all worked. And, and I, I'm big, 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 it's especially that, that pairing of Vi and Roth. It, it's, it's super. I agree. I love this solo album. I think it's probably my favorite of his solo albums of the era. Vive guitar playing with Billy Sheehan's bass playing was oh, pretty epic. And if, if you remember, like the the going crazy video, yeah, when when during the the solo, when when uh, Billy Sheehan has a little bit of a spotlight moment when he does his solo, and it's, yeah, you know, basically sounds like a deep guitar solo. I mean, they rip. Uh, Greg Bissonette, I believe, was the drummer. He rips. Yep. I mean, that was an all star band with more colors and lights in that David Lee Roth mind. Yep. I mean, that that did is is a genius a genius he speaks spanish he speaks japanese he travels the world he, uh, he pretty much planned everything every next move van halen was doing and then and then you could see it translate into his solo career oh, yeah i read his auto his biography and uh about, i think that came out in like the late 90s and it was still like pretty epic just to read it but i i really like his solo stuff a lot um i'm, I'm a huge huge van halen guy but I, I really do enjoy his solo stuff, even even the even the Vegas lounge stuff. 
Well, we're getting uh, we're getting up there now, man. So what what do you got for three? Dude, I got some something you might be surprised. I got Racer X. Racer X. Okay, yeah. Okay, wow. I am surprised. Yeah, I know. So for this album, this is the the perfect example of kind of the Cinderella thing, but you take that, you kick it up a step. Mm-hmm. You got this glammy glam pink and neon and everything, and you got these shredders. I mean, the look does not fit the sound at all. Mm-hmm. But again, it's that era, that genre, bringing it out. Yep. yep. And what an all-star lineup. Um, you got super killy, hooky, killer, hard, just pure talent in all the musicians. Jeff Martin's got these soaring vocals, and I believe he's a, um, he used to be or he is a drummer, so yeah. that probably helped in, in the musicianship. Yes. Paul Gilbert, I don't, I never understood his next move. Oh, <laughs> right. Mr. Big, I know, it pro- I know it probably made great financial sense. Oh, definitely. But I never, <laughs> I never understood it style-wise. I, like, I had to really think, like, well, it's a kind of a common name. Maybe he's a, maybe it's a different Paul Gilbert, right? <laughs> but nope. I mean, it's the same guy. And anyway, he shreds so hard; it's so killer. Um, the artwork, anything with that that eighties LA city scene illustrated yeah, cover, right? Yeah. Oh, oh, it's, it's great. Um, anyway, the songs are catchy. There's a song called "Hotter Than Fire," which was like the anthem when we go out in the old days, and my buddies and I. You know, although we all are my age, we were all gym rats and we'd go out all the time and we'd crank this stuff on the way to you know whatever bar or club or whatever we were going out and there's a song called Hotter Than Fire and it like depicts perfectly I just it takes me back to like going out with the fellas and you know pre-drinking and going and, and you're going to have a good time it's just like got to check out Hotter Than Fire um, Getaway Dangerous Love and then of course uh, the title track Super Killer and then the follow up unfortunately He's not on this album, but Scott Travis from Priest is on their follow-up, oh, their nice. next album. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I know it's a shocker to be up at number three above you know, Poison and Cinderella and everything, but this is one of those albums that is super underrated. The musicians that came out of it went on to other bigger projects, but really good talent musicianship in this album and super catchy. And that's the thing, is this is as hard as like a, a maiden or something like uh-huh. that, but for some reason it really appeals to me. But like maiden doesn't really appeal to me. Uh-huh. So again, it's that weird like chemistry of your brain. Like oh, I don't really love that sound. It's pretty much the same speed and tempo and recipe, but I don't really dig it. But I love Racer X. So it doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. But again, the beauty of this genre where it's really whatever you want, never ending. Yeah, you know I. I... I'll be honest. I can't. I remember. I remember them. I remember the album cover you're talking about. I remember Gilbert and Eric Martin. I definitely heard this, but I haven't heard it like since back in '86 or seven. So it's been a while. So I definitely. I remember it. I just need to go back and, and revisit it. Um, it'll yeah. It'll get you fired up. It's I a bet. good one. It, it, it's as soon as we're done, I'm gonna go check out the the one. What was it called? Hotter than hell. Hotter than what? <laughs> Well, hotter, hotter than fire. Hotter than fire. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Well, my next one. This is a band that's going to yeah. try to keep you out of the fire. All right. They, they don't. They want to do good things for you.
Mrs. Striper, man. Christian oh, Land Battle Gold to Hell with the Devil, man. I love Striper. I remember back to the shirts. I remember having the baseball jersey with the picture from the inside where they all look like girls. You know what I mean? But they're but they're wearing their yellow and black. You know, so it's all good. Uh, but no, I mean, what a, what a great band. I mean, all of them are super musicians, especially Michael Sweet, great songwriter, great vocalist, and. You know, I, to this day, I, I probably will always put Soldiers Under Command over this album. I don't know why, but I think this album, obviously, once again, talking about those breakthrough albums, this is their breakthrough. Sonically, it's it's better than what came before it. And I think they, um, I know, once again, I have no problem with their message. I actually am totally into their message, especially more today than ever, but... I think they presented their message with a lot more depth with this album. And it also, I think they presented it in a way that a person of any faith could get into some of the songs. You know what I mean? Some songs could yeah. be portrayed as a love song. like I, like, And it kind of hit me as I was going through and I was just going back and revisiting this album. Honestly, is a great example of this. So Striper are smart, right? So basically they're doing a power ballad yeah. and it sounds like it could be about your girlfriend or wife, but it's actually Jesus talking to you or the person that's listening. You know what I mean? So it's it's really yeah. smart and the way they did it, the way they did everything, like I said, it just made a lot of sense. And you got to give these guys credit, man. They had a lot of balls because we've talked about all the sleaziest albums that could ever be released. They came out, most of them came out this year. And what did they all sing about? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. You know what I mean? Yeah. Striper exactly. took a big risk. And the, and I just, it was funny. Somebody messaged me uh, who's just getting a podcast going. And he, and he you know, he's just, just getting going. He wanted my opinion of what he was doing. So he sent me over. He got an interview with Tim Gaines. And I was like, wow, that's not bad for some guy that's just getting going. And, and I, I scanned yeah. through it. And I listened to most of it. The cool thing <laughs> that Tim Gaines brought up was that, they weren't embraced by the the metal community because they were like against the you know topically about you know what they believe in was their beliefs were against what was going on in the metal community. They weren't embraced by the Christian music community because they looked at them as as part of the other side, were like Motley Crue and, and Ozzy. So like these guys were just on their own. You know what I mean? So I give them tons of credit for for standing up for what they believe in and doing what they do. And um, it's just, it, it, and once again, you know, it's just a song album. The songs are amazing. Once again, strong singles. Free is amazing, honestly, and Calling on You. To Hell with the Devil is one of those songs that has taken, like, a, a life of its own. That's another one. It was never a single, but that's the only song I ever heard by Striper, at least I ever hear, on Hair Nation. And it's kind of the same way of yep, looking exactly. the cat drag in. You know what I mean? Same exact thing. That song was not yeah. a single, but it's it's big. And you hear that on Hair Nation. So some of these songs kind of get bigger over time. But even the deep tracks. It's got cool deep tracks, like the sing-along song is super catchy. The Way. Like you listen to some of those heavy songs like The Way, it almost sounds like Maiden-ish. Like the dual leads and stuff like that, so they oh, were yeah. giving you yeah, a, absolutely a, a whole bunch of different kinds of soundscapes, and uh, hey man, and they they broke through, and, and MTV loved them, and it's just like I said, this will probably always be looked at as their their peak, really. So absolutely, and that the the range of Michael Sweet's Whoa. voice is so outrageous, dude. It's so killer. That guy can he's got range for days. Yeah. I mean, I love his voice. I love his voice. And, dude, the, the Christian metal scene is so vast. Like, there's so much killer shit out there. I almost put Shout, you know, Shout with Ken Templin? Yeah, yeah, I know who he is. I, yeah. almost, I almost 
yeah, I almost put Shout on the list because I love Ken Camplin. He's got such an amazing voice. He's actually a vocal instructor now. But he came out with such killer riffs and such killer songs back then. And uh, they, Shout has like three albums between 86 and 90, I believe. And then he came out with a bunch of solo stuff. But really good artist. But for Striper, dude, I've always gravitated to uh, Against the Law. And, I, yeah. and I say it's, it's, the, it's the guys' least favorite. They can't stand that. <laughs> I've, I've listened to interviews with them. Yeah. They hate it. Because they, they straight away, they, straight. Time, they, they basically stopped all their Christian values at that point and just said, eh, and threw, it, threw in the towel. And, and that album, not that I, you know, I'm, I like it more because of that message at all. I just love the songs. But these albums, I have them all. I need to master them a little bit better, to be honest. But I got no problem with their message. I think it's, I think it's pretty cool that they were doing it back then. Even you know, I've never been a, an incredibly religious guy. I have um, I have faith and all, but I you know I just uh, I got no problem with what they were doing back then. I think they stood up for what they believed in, and they're still producing some pretty cool stuff. They do cool stuff, yeah. And that's a you know, you know when we were talking about uh, bands that can. Uh, release a song that's at the level of some of their other songs uh, from the 80s and they're one that comes to mind and uh, they did one I think it was called I don't know if you ever heard this song by them it's from 2009 it's called Murder by Pride listen to Murder by Pride what a great song, man! It's like it could be okay. on, it could be from an '80s album. It's that good, at least for me. So once again, not all their songs do that for me. There's been some songs on the recent albums that do not register with my ears whatsoever. But that song, I always thought "Murder by Pride" from 2009 was like, yeah, that's really conscious songwriting, very melodic, very catchy, yeah. and it reminds me of their '80s stuff. So, so like I said, I feel like. With all these bands, you're always going to catch a little gem. You know what I mean? A diamond in the rough, or yeah. Say. Oh yeah, like yeah, that's like a four letter word by Def Leppard on their X album. It, it could have been on Hysteria. Mm-hmm. I love that song. It's it's up there in my top ten Def Leppard. So yeah, once in a while you get these bands that come out with something, and you're like, oh, this this is right there. Mm-hmm. This is in the wheelhouse. But yeah, well, I'll check that song out. Number two, my friend, what you got? Number two, well, it's the exact opposite of what Striper was preaching at that point and what this band was doing. And that's Rat Dancing Undercover. <laughs> this, this, <laughs> talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They, they were singing about, about Everybody was. Everybody was. Body, yeah, we got body talk. You got dance, slip of the lip, one good lover. 7th Avenue, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Is pure Stephen Piercy. That's in his wheelhouse. I mean, that song and Enough is Enough, it's all Piercy. I could just tell that this was his album. You know, like, mm-hmm. Demartini probably did most of the invasion killerness, and I bet Piercy had a hand in, in a lot of it on this album. But I really like this album. I, I know that, you know, you're a big Reach for the Sky fan, and I can't remember how you feel about this album, but... Oh, I'll um, tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me. Now, uh, but the album artwork, I think the album like kind of perfectly depicts Rat of being what they used to call fashion rock, and that was like in their 84, 85 days, but they're still at it. I mean, the album cover is perfect in my eyes. I, I like how they didn't do the, the squares. Obviously, they couldn't do it like Poison and, right. and Motley because they have five. But 
I really like that. Uh, and, and a lot was to be said with the album artwork back then. It was, it was really part of the package. Um, I know people don't really love the production, but I think it's kind of like a, and I do think it's a step back from Invasion, which, mm-hmm. trust me, if this was 85, Invasion might be my number one. But um, I still I love this album. I love this era. I really love Rat. And uh, I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Uh, I, I don't like this album. I don't know why. I, I bought it, obviously, when it came out. and uh, But over time, like I feel like the singles, Slip of the Lip and Body Talk, I enjoy. Um, yeah. One Good Lover. Yeah, that's not. There's some decent. There's a few decent songs. I hate the song Dance. I just don't like that song. And I feel like there's just a lot of throwaways. Uh, I don't know. It was weird because Bo Hill said he didn't like this album either. And I don't. I don't know. You know that that, that means anything. But I, I love. I love Out of the Cellar. I really enjoy Invasion of Your Privacy. And then for some reason, I really like Reach for the Sky. And I'm into Detonator. This is just like a dead spot in the catalog for me. I, I, once again, you know, I don't know why. I don't know. It just does. This album just well, doesn't resonate with me. I would. I would say that if I were to rank the rat those that era albums i'd have this as as maybe second to last yeah you know right, and, I'd, right. and i and i actually i'd probably have detonator or invasion as my number one even though out of the cellar has epic songs on it yeah um i still am such a big rat guy that this had to be up there for me i just i love the fact that it is a little bit undercover and i love mm-hmm. the fact that it is a little bit of a step back in terms of their raw rap sound it's almost it's almost probably like the ep that they that they love you know they, they yeah. talk about that ep, EP. like it's the whole yeah. Grail. but uh yeah so that's my that's my uh number two what's yours Cheers. number two i gotta go with my boy ingve malmstein trilogy oh i was waiting big yeah. big ingve fan now I did have this. I bought this when it was out. I mean, and I probably just scratched the surface with it as a kid. But I think it's an album, and I think that's why I ranked it so high because it's an album I go back to constantly, and I listen to all the time oh, to this day. Yeah. And it probably, yeah. like I said, it just took maybe like a lifetime to to get it where it was just like you know in my consciousness. But it's just, uh, it, it's I love when he can be a little bit more commercial. I think he always needs to reel himself in because if if he gets all all on his own or too much soloing, it's it's not it's not my cup of tea. I'm not a guitar solo person. But um, I think he just, he was really smart. Mark Bowles has a great voice. The Johansons are on there. Super killer people. Um, definitely, have, like I said, you know me, I've talked to a lot of Ingve people. <laughs> a lot of Ingve people. Uh, yeah. And I'm always trying to uncover more about Ingve. But um, I don't have a lot to say about this album other than that. I just, I think all the songs are great. Obviously, you don't remember. Uh, I'll never forget. That should have been a huge single. If that was probably done by Bon Jovi or something like that, it would have been number one. But the name oh, yeah, totally. was not marketable. Uh, I've said that before to people, and I, I'll always stand by that. He should have had a band. It should have been a band, and he should have been the guitar player in the band. But that's just not the way that he rolls. Um, Queen is in love. I love Liar. And for some reason, I love the song Dark Ages. It's just got that cool Mm -hmm. medieval metal riff, you know. So it was cool that this album could be like commercial rock like Bon Jovi, but then kind of drift into the medieval Viking metal stuff that Yngwie is known for. So, yeah. And the song Fire... Uh, that that should have been a single, like by a, a band, like a bit make you know become a big song. Like, once again, never was released. 
you know, if I had the Ingve stamp, I don't know if it would do anything. But uh, just an amazing release that I always kind of circle back to. So a big fan of that one. Yeah. I love listening to your interviews with all the Ingway members because the lore surrounding Ingway is like Vinnie Vincent. Exactly. He's not, um, he's not the same caliber weirdo, but no. he's <laughs> the same, <laughs> the same caliber boss. And, he, yep. and what he says goes. Yep. And that's why he had a handful of singers throughout the years. But I, yeah, I really like listening to your interviews with those guys. But, um, to me, uh, trilogy and, uh, uh, what's the next one? Odyssey. Odyssey. They they go hand in hand yeah. for me a little. I know the singers are different, obviously, but it has the same feel. Where you can have a heaven tonight and a deja vu, and they're right there with you. Don't remember. I mean, to me, like those two albums, could, it could have been a double album in a yeah. way. No, you know, definitely obviously again. But um, I almost had this on my list as well. I almost had it. It's in my top of my honorable mention, but. I love this album. I love the artwork. I love oh, yeah. where he went on this. Uh, yeah, and I love how he, where he went on this album as well in terms of the, you know, he he got catchier, which is a good move at mm-hmm. that point. But, you know, the first two have Jeff Scott Soto, kind of got some more balls to his voice. Yeah. But I love Jeff, Jeff Scott Soto. He's been in every band ever. <laughs> and he's got more albums under his belt than anyone. I don't know how he can write another lyric. He's probably run out of them by now. But, right. <laughs> um, but but trilogy is one of those albums that I gravitate towards the that and Odyssey and then actually um, after hearing your interview uh, with the I think it was the singer was it Magnum Opus oh Vicera Mike Vicera yeah or what was the other one uh, Goran Edmund Edmund he Goran Edmund yeah. did Eclipse yeah. and uh, Fire and Ice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I started getting into those too. So those are good. Those I are really good. like. Yeah, I like listening to most of his catalog because he re- he really like he kind of remains pretty consistently yeah. ripping like up through the nineties. You know. Yeah, yeah, he definitely did. So I like it. I like your choice, dude. I thought I I almost put it in there. Almost. <laughs> well, it's time for your number one. Let's hear uh, it. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So you're a Sammy guy. Yeah. So I'm a Dave guy. You're a Sammy guy. I got you. I got you. Well, here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. Just like ACDC, I'll never choose. To me, Van Halen is mood dependent. Mm-hmm. I really think so. I can't do it. I can't. I'll never. I'll never pick a side. I love both. And I love both ACDC and I love both Van Halen. I know they broke up for different reasons, but the Sammy era Van Halen is such a feel-good era. I mean, it was the height of Eddie smiling and hopping around and them getting along. And and it was like when Karabi came into to Motley right. and the guys went, oh my God, we could play this note and it'll work with this vocal because he can hit that note. You know, there is, not that I like the Motley 94 album at all, <laughs> but I do like, <laughs> but I, <laughs> but I do like, uh, Van Hagar era. I really do. Um, there's just that newfound range on all their instruments throughout this whole thing. I do like the addition of, of a little bit more keyboards with Van Halen. Mm-hmm. 
it fits Sammy. I mean, for unlawful, it is definitely my favorite Sammy era album. Mm, mm-hmm. But and there's like no keyboards, pretty much in that album, I guess. But this one, I think it just fit the era. It fit the time. People really liked it. It's got that real diverse. Um, you got it. You got songs like "Get Up," which is like a almost like a thrash song. <laughs> the drums are faster than Alex has ever played. But then you got like "Love Walks In." But any album with "Best of Both Worlds" and "Summer Nights" on there is going to be like <laughs> that's pretty much my number one. Uh, I had Turbo as my number one, but then I realized that I gravitate towards Van Halen a little bit more. Mm. Um, I'd have been fine with "Summer Nights" and and "Best of Both Worlds," and they just come out with those two songs, and this still might have been my number one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like ACDC, I'll never choose a side, and and I just. The the live video, live without a net, I I, I love it. Um, I don't know. There's not much more I could say about this album other than I feel like they were having a great time, and it worked for them, and it carried on through the years. They had a series of number ones, and uh, I mean they came out with for unlawful carnal knowledge, which is like a eleven out of ten album. <laughs> <laughs> I never was a big Sammy Hagar fan, even back when he did, you know, I can't drive fifty five and all that stuff. So never uh-huh. was big into his voice. It was just his voice. I don't have anything against him, you know, personally. Uh, the voice just doesn't register. And I think I was so into Roth that it's just I bought fifty one fifty when I was a kid when it came out, and I don't know. And I, mean, I think I might have bought OU eight one two, but then that was kind of it. I just never really sunk in. Uh, I felt like Van mm-hmm. Halen maybe was just going, they just didn't feel as metal as some of the other stuff that I was enjoying. You know what I mean? So uh, I don't know. It just, oh, yeah. I just, it, they just, I don't know. I just fell out of favor. I fell out of favor with them, I guess. You know, I just wasn't feeling it. But um, but I, I have respect for the songs they did. I mean, I'm, never, I'm not going to say that this album is crap. It's not crap. You know, well-written songs, awesome musicianship. So, yeah, I mean. I can't dispute you. You know, I just just not a just not a Hagar guy. No, I get it because there's probably mm, eight to ten Sammy songs from his solo career that I actually really like. Mm-hmm. The rest of them, I go, eh, he's got a little too much pop in this one, a little too much keyboard. I definitely don't do the the seventies Hagar. I really like, you know, the Standing Hampton, a few songs off of uh, VOA and all that. But yeah, it was it was different. I think I think the combination with Eddie really brought more out in Sammy, and then I started liking him a lot more because, you know, like I said, I didn't really love Sammy solo, mm-hmm. but I love Sammy with with Van Halen and OU812, eh, kind of a clunker. I mm-hmm. love Cabo Wabo. That song's that's probably my one of my favorite Sammy era songs for him for that out for Van Halen, but I don't love that album. But this one, it just it's not eighties metal. It's not glam by any stretch, right. but they're a monster band and they kinda went that direction. Yeah. So Yeah. It's my number one. Well, I think it's pretty clear what my number one is. Cinderella, Cinderella Night Songs, and uh, I mean we nice. we've talked about about it a lot, and I'm actually surprised that this is my number one. I, I didn't really see it coming until you you put them all out there and you kind of digest all the songs and and the vibes that you get from this era and this album. But you know it's awesome. I think we covered a lot of it already. But I think 
what this album does that the Poison one doesn't do for me is, like I said, I think there are a few songs where I kind of cringe or I just, uh, I don't know, I just, I'm not feeling them anymore. Where this this album's not like that at all. I feel like it's got great deep tracks. Obviously, we talked about all the songs, you know, great singles. One couple that I really like though that that maybe we didn't discuss, or obviously I love the title track, and I think I yeah. I, I saw them live in '88. And and when they did that, you know, like I just remember like all the purple smoke and I don't know, just so that song ever since then has always been a you know high level for me. And I always like Back Home Again. I thought that's a I think that's a great song that that closes out the album. Um, I mean, Tom Kiefer, super talented guy, great vocalist, great guitar player. It's actually strange how many guitar solos he actually does. So he really is kind of the lead guitar player. But Jeff Labar did some cool leads and he was a great utility guy. You know what I mean? He he um totally. you know, rest in peace Jeff, but you know, with his with his uh, backgrounds and his rhythms and he was flipping yeah. his guitar around yeah. and I mean nobody looked cooler than Eric Brinningham, you know, <laughs> and, and, and Fred you got, you got Fred Curry in there. But uh yeah, I, I just feel like it's just great stuff. And and I think you hit on it too. I got no problem with the bluesier stuff, but I prefer the more metallic sound that they had. I, I think totally. this. I think this is their best sound. Long Cold Winter actually might even the sounds might be tied. They didn't go too far, but you're right. As much as I like Heartbreak Station, and I can listen to it with no problem, they definitely went too far. They strayed way too far from the debut. But um, yeah, man, it that that's it. That's my that's my number one. Yeah, when I saw them, they opened with night songs, and I was actually pretty shocked. And then I realized, oh, this is kind of a hard song. Like, yeah, I never really realized it. It's like it's like an out in the cold priest song. It's like a slow chugger, and you're like, yeah, it works though. It works. This works, you know. This works great. But what do you think? What's your what's your pick out of the the three singles? Nobody's fool, shake me, and somebody save me. Well, I got a confession. Right now, I'm working on a cover of, of Nobody's Fool, so like I, oh, okay. I, I'm really, I'm really feeling Nobody's Fool. I, I think it's a really, I love the dramatic aspect of it. You know how it's just it's the slow, mysterious beginning, and then the in your face yeah. chorus. So I would go Nobody's Fool, yeah. And that was like the first song I probably ever heard by them. So yeah, I'd go Nobody's Fool. You, right? That's cool. Uh, I think of the three, I, I think Shake choice that's a yeah dude the drum intro is so killer and that song i always leave it on that's one of those where yeah it's just, it's one of their singles and usually I, I gravitate towards the album tracks these days i'm sick of the singles but i go no leaving this one on this is too killer to change oh yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, as you said, there's so many albums that we didn't get to talk about. How about we do this? I'll rattle off just three honorable mentions real quick, and then you can do the same, and and I'll just maybe explain quick why they didn't make it. Wasp, Inside the Electric Circus, I wanted to put this on there, but I feel like there's not that many great songs. It starts off so good mm-hmm. with the Electric Circus, and then I Don't Need No Doctor, and then I feel like it just, you know. Goes to it just doesn't go anywhere <laughs> after that. Uh, Alice Cooper yep, Constrictor. I, uh, I love Constrictor by Alice Cooper, but it's you know got a drum machine on it, and it's just I don't know. It's not an album that I go back to that much anymore. I feel like it. You know when Alice tries to be metal or he tries to be glam, uh, it's all good. But I, I just like that more creepier, like old school orchestration Alice Cooper from the 70s. I feel like I always will gravitate to 70s Cooper. And I wanted to put on Queensryche Rage for Order, but I felt like that was an album that I got into a lot later, like maybe once Queensryche really broke big. So I, that didn't, 
I didn't mm-hmm. feel that didn't feel very '86. You know, didn't bring back a lot of memories. So I love that album, but I don't feel like it's part of this group that I put together. So that's what are your three? Well, I, you know, let me tell you the ones real quick that I had on my honorable mention that you had. I had Roth, Bon Jovi, Ingwe, uh, Vinnie Vincent, and Europe. Oh wow! And at okay. one point, I, I had most of those on the list, and I was like, ah. You know, I'm going to really dig deep. So I, I really went deep. But some of the random ones, I, I, I have a, I have like five years of mine. I did, I did yeah. White Tiger. If you ever look, do you, you remember they had Mark St. John? Yeah, White Tiger. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I had White Tiger and then a, a Canadian band called Sword. So Sword okay. was um, Rick Hughes, who later went on to sing for a band called Saints and Sinners, which is uh, one of my favorite 92 albums. Um, they're a Canadian band, Sword. And they're a lot like uh, Racer X, where they're super hard, super killer. They're like, I think it's called Metalized, I think. And it's freaking killer album. It's it's super hard. Um, they look glammy, but they rip. Yeah, Sword. I had Queensryche on there. Fifth Angel, I don't know if you ever heard of them, but um, really another, another really ripping band. Um, Mars was a project with uh, like Tony McAlpine, mm-hmm. uh, God, who else was it? Rudy Sarzo, um, Tommy Aldridge, Rock. right? Yeah, yeah, Sarzo, and I can't. Oh, Aldridge. So it was called Mars, and it's called Project Driver. Really good album. Um, that singer went on to a lot of other projects. I have Banshee's first one, Honeymoon mm. Suite, and uh, Tesla. No, oh, yeah, almost Tesla, had yeah. Tesla. Tesla and Brighton Rock were right there for number 10. <laughs> so much great music, brother. Well, hey, this was fun going through 86. Like I said, it, it, special, special year for me, and uh, I appreciate all your input and your time. It was it was a fun one. Yeah, I really appreciate it. That was awesome, dude. I had a good time, and what a good year. I didn't even realize it until now. Well, that was a blast looking back on 1986. Make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Rock on!